It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the, the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Clark, over there, touchdown! Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now, here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are incredible! Over Yeah, we're halfway there on a Wednesday, a foggy Wednesday here in Northeast Indiana. Derek Decker in for Brett Rump on the Sports Rush, hour number two with Adam Lundy. And so glad to have you aboard this afternoon. We broke down tons of stuff, including Purdue Hoops in hour number one. And we're going to revisit some of those talking points because we've got much to talk about in this Purdue team. It is having one of its best stretches in the Big Ten in a long, long time. With us now is the voice of Purdue basketball, Rob Blackman. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for hopping on. Yeah, hi, Derek. How are you? Really good. Um, we'll jump right in here and just initially give me your thoughts on last night's game. Obviously, pretty dominant from the start. Boy, the Makers got out and ran early. Michigan had trouble. They were down a guard in Doug McDaniel, and they kind of looked flustered from the start. But Purdue's offense just cooked it up and never let it stop. Yeah, uh, let's be fair to Michigan. And you said it. You know, they don't play with Doug McDaniel in the road games, at least currently. And so you're not only losing your your leading scorer, but you're also leading your losing your point guard and and uh, the guy that really drives your team. So uh, that makes it tough enough. Let alone them trying to win at Mackey Arena. And I think it's fair to say that you know Purdue is really good defensively on their second leading scorer, uh, Olivier Kamala, who only had seven points, and he's a guy that averages 17 a game. So the Michigan's without their top scorer, their second leading scorer. Purdue did a really good job against uh, defensively so but it was really the offensive end where Purdue uh, really made some hay I mean 99 points obviously against a big 10 opponent uh, is always a big deal but to shoot the way uh, shoot the ball I should say as well as Purdue did from the from the three-point line 61 67 percent I think it was 14 to 21 if I remember correctly um, and didn't turn the ball over that's the other thing Derek that if there's been one Probably one negative you could uh, say that's been a, a consistent problem this year for Purdue. It's been the turnovers, and uh, that was not a concern at all uh, yesterday. Purdue didn't have its first turnover until about 11 and a half minutes to go in the game. So <laughs> Purdue only had seven turnovers, and one of them uh, was a turnover that they took on purpose at the end of the game. <laughs> right. Uh, so they, so so I mean, so really, only had six for an entire game. So yeah, just uh, it's tough to be real critical about anything that Purdue did last night. Uh, Purdue didn't maybe shoot free throws quite as well as they have in the season, uh, but they and they also probably missed a f- you know think about this Derek Purdue missed a lot of shots right at the rim in the first ten or twelve minutes of that game that they normally make if they make those shots um, Purdue's probably scoring I don't know 114 120 in that ball game so it just Purdue was just so efficient offensively they basically got any shot they wanted and again defensively they were really good against a shorthanded Michigan team so. Just a lot, uh, very, very, I should say, very little to be critical about last night about Purdue's performance. They were that good. 
Yeah, you mentioned that stretch where they missed some layups. They went one for 12 during a stretch in that first half. You figure maybe they could have been over 60 in the first 20 minutes. But the last four first halves for Purdue, 47, 51, 49, and 49. A lot of a lot of folks have talked about Lance Jones, the shooting weapons on the edge. What has, in your mind, been the key to the turning point from last year to this year in terms on offense? Well, I would start with shot selection. Um and I, I'm stealing a little bit here from the coaches because I heard them talking about this yesterday in the coaches' locker room before the game started uh, because they were kind of doing some self-evaluation about our team, and, and they were all in agreement that this group has just so much, been so much better collectively this year at taking good shots. There just, there just haven't been a lot of bad shots taken within the flow of the offense. Now, there have been some, uh, certainly. It hasn't been perfect, but if you compare it to last year, uh, this group has just been so much more uh, efficient when it comes to be taking good shots within the offense. Uh, and you've seen that, you know, especially with the assist numbers. The assist numbers are up, and that's because Purdue is electing to, to turn down a good shot for and, and wait for a great shot. And we've seen that uh, really on a pretty regular basis these last probably eight or ten games. So I think that's the biggest difference. Uh, but you mentioned the numbers uh, in the first half scoring. I mean, Last four games of the year, Purdue's averaging 91 points a game, uh, and I would I would remind folks this is all of these are against Big Ten teams. It's not like you're scoring 91 a game uh, against the mid majors or low majors that you're bringing in for guarantee games at Mackey Arena. Uh, these are games that are not only on the road but are against Big Ten competition, and you're scoring 91 a game. So uh, I, I do believe I think I read correctly that after last night's performance, Purdue is now number one in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency, and it just makes sense. Uh, again, they, they don't take bad shots, mostly, mostly. <laughs> they don't take bad shots. They're really efficient in finding the open shooter to get a great shot. And the other thing, Derek, too, is Purdue is just so good offensive rebounding. You know, it's something Matt Painter is always harping on with this group about, and it, it, it goes hand-in-hand hand with the turnovers, Look, as he, as he tells our guys, and I hear him tell him that all the time, tell him this all the time, just get a shot up on the rim because the odds are 50-50. We're going to get the offensive rebound anyway. Um, yeah. the, the only way the only way we don't, you know, that doesn't happen is if you turn it over. So even if it is a bad shot, just get it up on the rim because we get a 50-50 chance of getting the ball back and trying to get anywhere on an offensive rebound. So uh, a, lot, a lot to like on what Purdue's been doing offensively here, especially the last four or five games. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the offense, offensive efficiency numbers. Top ranked in Ken Palm, top 15 in offensive rebounding percentage, top 10 in blocks, top 5 in three-point shooting percentage, and then top 10 in assists uh, per field goal made as well, which is just a, a really incredible number, almost 65% in that last category. Um, but on the other side here, Rob, want to get your thoughts. You need to get a chance to see this team courtside every game. In, in your mind, what are the couple most glaring weaknesses? You touched on turnovers. You know, there certainly don't appear to be, at least on the surface, a lot of weaknesses on this Purdue team right now. But uh, as we get deeper into the Big Ten season, you know, Purdue is still, uh, you know, hunting a, a chance at first place in the Big Ten trailing Wisconsin. What, in your mind, does Purdue have to do uh, to clean up some of the, the very few mistakes that they've made throughout the course of the season to have a shot at a, a Big Ten championship and then ultimately making a run for a national championship? Yeah, the uh, turnovers are certainly number one. Uh, that is probably the one thing uh, that would, would could, that could hold Purdue back. Um, and, and and I would make it more specific, uh, Derek, and not only just turnovers, 
uh, but live ball turnovers that literally just hand the other team two points. Uh, we, we saw that at Nebraska, which was the last time Purdue lost a game. Uh, that was back on January the 9th, where it wasn't so much the turnovers, and yes, there were, there were numerous turnovers, but was, it was the way those turnovers happened. Literally just bad passes right there near midcourt or in the front court where all the opponent had to do was steal the ball and run to the other end for an uncontested layup. We saw that five or six times in that game. Uh, it's one thing to turn the ball over with a ball turnover. At least you can run back and set your defense. It's quite another to just hand the other team points, and that's another thing Matt Painter's always harping on. Let's not just hand the other team points. Let's just not throw them a pass at midcourt where they can run to the other end for an uncontested layup or dunk. Uh, that's where it gets you into some trouble. Uh, so the turnovers are certainly, uh, that is the most bothersome thing. If, if indeed, uh, you're going to try to find, uh, you know, an Achilles heel with this team. Defensively, you know, earlier in the year, uh, especially coming off that loss against Northwestern back on December the 1st, uh, I would have told you that defensively, Purdue had a whole lot of areas that they needed to, to get cleaned up. But I have to tell you, man, Purdue's been really good on defense the last four, five, six games. They, uh, I, I, that, that Western game, I remember, I remember Matt Painter joined us on the post-game interview, and he said that was the worst half, the second half was the worst half of defense we played all year. Uh, and it was. And, and for whatever reason, I think the team has gotten the message because they've been really, really good on the defensive end since then. Uh, and I'm really, and really ramping it up here in the last five, six games, as I said. So, uh, I, I guess I would say, if you've seen uh, if you've seen a, a portion of a game or games where your team has been poor defensively, you always worry that maybe that 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 deficiency would rear its ugly head again somewhere down the road. You hope it doesn't, but because you've seen it, you know you know it's there. Um, but boy, there's it's. I try to be as objective with this group as I can, obviously, but I'm I'm having a tough time finding a whole lot of deficiencies right now with the way they're playing. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. Uh, at this point in the season, you know, it, and it's not been a bit against easy competition. Top-ranked schedule in Ken Palm. Schedule strength up to this point as well. But to yeah, that right, end, on right. the – yeah, go ahead, Rob. No, I was going to say, that's a, you can bring up another great point. Blue, and you just said it, currently has the number one strength of schedule in the country. So not only are you doing what you're doing, uh, you know, ranked second in the country, 18-2, and two, uh, number one in the nation in, in, in adjusted offensive efficiency. You're doing it against the toughest schedule in the nation. You've, you've beaten five top uh, top eleven teams already. AP top eleven teams. You're playing the toughest schedule in the country. So when I'm asking you know, to hey, what, may, maybe point out some efficiencies or do about this team, it's not that I don't want to. It's not that I'm not, you know I don't want to be a complete homer. The problem is they're just playing at such a magical level right now. There just, there just aren't, Derek, there just aren't a lot of deficiencies to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and I'll, I'll get you out of here on this. I'm talking to Rob Blackman from Purdue Radio. And let's look at this Big Ten as a whole, okay? I don't think there's a whole lot of denying that the Big Ten isn't as strong as last year. You know, Maybe it's better than some folks have said on the surface, but at least in terms of tournament resumes, looks like there's maybe six or seven teams in the mix right now, which would be a step down from last year. Uh, we, we mentioned that Purdue is trailing Wisconsin, of course, and they play each other twice coming up over the next two months. But in your mind, has the Big Ten looked weaker this year than in past years or the past uh, past year, past couple of years? I, I just want to get your opinion on that because you've seen a good chunk of the teams in the league to this point. I think it's a little more top-heavy, Derek, than it's been in a while. 
certainly Purdue, Wisconsin, Illinois are the top three. And then from what I've seen at this point, there seems to be a pretty big drop-off after that, which we're not used to seeing that in the Big Ten. Now, I may come back to eat my words on that in the second half of the Big Ten season, but at least that's what I've seen so far. Uh, Ohio State, I thought early in the year was going to be really good, and now they've kind of stubbed their toe a little bit, so I'm not, I'm not completely sold on them. Northwestern, uh, man, after they beat us back in December the 1st, you know, I really felt like they were good enough to be at you know a top four seed uh, in the NCAA tournament. Now, now I'm not so certain, especially after they lose a home game to Chicago State. I mean, right. that just can't happen. Um, so, I think certainly the top three, are the cream of the crop this year in the Big Ten, and then it's kind of you know the, the everyone else just just as middling. Maryland hasn't, hasn't been nearly as good as they thought they were going to be, especially with what they had coming back. Um, so at least let, let me let me qualify this by saying that that's what I'm going to say right now, uh, you know, in January in, in late January. Now I might change my tune on this come <laughs> early March, but it, yeah, from what we've seen to this point, uh, it's it, the Big Ten just from a talent level just is as deep as it's been in the last handful of years. Yeah, no question about it. Rob Blackman, thanks so much for spending the time. We'll be chatting again soon here on the Sports Rush as uh, Purdue comes down the stretch. And uh, looking forward to seeing the Boilers continue to dominate on this incredibly hot stretch and potentially a magical season. Thanks a lot for calling. Okay, Derek, thank you. All right, that's Rob Blackman, the voice of Purdue basketball on radio. We certainly appreciate him spending some time. we got to take a break when we come back. We've got plenty more stacked up on the show here today. We're going to pick up where we left off on women's basketball talk. It's growing popularity. Maybe a little Caitlin Clark to get the juices flowing on our 46862 Parkview Sports Medicine text line. You got thoughts on Caitlin Clark? Want to hear them? Come back after this. It's the Sports Rush, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. This is Lara Overton from the Indianapolis Colts. You're listening to The Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. She doesn't normally lie, but she did today. I'm not Brett Rump. I'm Derek Decker, and you got to put up with me for the next half hour or so as we take you home on this Wednesday afternoon. In for Brett as he prepares for tomorrow's game against Northern Kentucky. The Dons will be on the air right here on 1380 The Fan. 100.9 100.9 FM pregame 6:45 tip off at seven. Mastodons looking to buck a losing streak, try to get back on the right track, and uh, we'll talk about that some tomorrow on the Sports Rush. Speaking of tomorrow on the Rush, it won't be me tomorrow, but it still won't be Brett, and we will have Shannon Griffith in here hosting the show. Always fun to have him in the uh, the host seat, and so. Uh, looking forward to listening along with you guys on tomorrow's show. But here today, we talked about before the first break, the top of the hour break, and we got sidetracked and chatting up some more Purdue basketball with Rob Blackman, the legendary voice of the Boilermakers. Iowa, Ohio State went to overtime women's basketball Sunday afternoon. Actually didn't get to watch this game. I got to listen to it on the radio. I was heading over to Mackey Arena in uh, West Lafayette to watch Indiana play Purdue. And so I heard this whole thing happen, and then I, I of course, saw the video afterwards very very soon after the game ended, after the uh, the collision with Caitlin Clark and the fan. The fan gets back up, no problem. Caitlin Clark certainly seems to oversell some things. So 46862 is the Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Got a text earlier about Caitlin Clark being great for the women's game, 
but has become the overshadowing personality, and that hurts the game. And she also flops more than LeBron or a soccer player. I mean, hey, when you are getting shout-outs from soccer players on the acting job that she did at the end, uh, I guess that's not really – it's like a backhanded compliment mm. from guys that do it often or, or even women that do it often. We'll say, no question, that flopping and uh, playing up calls and embellishment, way more common in the men's soccer game than it is in women's soccer. And that's – you know, I've learned that over the years watching soccer, but I'm also married to a woman who had offers to play college soccer. So <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't say it even if I wanted to, but genuinely I, I think the, the flopping is, is way worse on the men's side in soccer. Have to agree. Uh, every women's soccer player I've met yeah. has been quite the tough cookie. Yeah, no, no question. All right. And I even think that it's generally the case in basketball as well. Uh, it does seem like men's players seem to, I, I don't know, play up calls a little bit more than than women's <laughs> players. Even in the high school game, you know, there's there's flaps more in in uh, boys basketball than girls. But I want to talk about if Caitlin Clark is right for the game. I don't think there's a whole lot of denying. Like I don't think people are going to turn off their TVs saying she's really annoying. I don't want to watch her. But I do think the perception on Caitlin Clark has changed over the years, right? Oh, yeah. The last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Now more people are saying, I want to watch her lose. It is, in my mind, the Dion effect. Me, as a guy that watched Colorado football this year, more or less, I was watching for two reasons. One smaller reason was I wanted to see if the experiment was going to work. You know, how is this going to play out? This is potentially a turning point in college football. And even though they didn't go to a bowl, maybe it still is a turning point in college football. Only time will tell for that in the new NIL era. At the other end of the stick, I'm thinking 70 or 80% of my attention is hoping that Dion's going to lose because I don't like the way that he built the program. <laughs> uh, I respect it in some ways. I think it is a trailblazing type moment trying to redefine how we think about the structure of college football. At the same time, I don't like his attitude. I don't like the way he deals with the media. I think it's super annoying, especially for a guy who absolutely should know better. It's not like he's never been in the limelight before. So that's kind of what I'm talking about with Caitlin Clark, right? You can't get away with, you know, twirling to the floor and and acting so disparaged because you bumped into a player or uh, bumped into a fan Mm -hmm. who was running onto the floor when someone who was clearly much smaller in size just got back up and walked over to her. Like, no problem. And yet, Caitlin Clark, from multiple angles, and I'm not a conspiracy guy, and I'm not <laughs> even saying this is what happened, but she did have her arm extended before the fall. Now, again, I'm not going to sit here and say, I just will not do it, that she, like, initiated the contact or so- uh, sought out the contact. Don't think that was the case at all. I think it was an honest collision, but I do think she definitely played it up way more than she should have. And I think that's a terrible look for her. I think it's a bad look for Iowa basketball. I think it's a bad look for the Big Ten. I think it's a bad look overall in the perception of women's basketball. If your best player is going to be annoying and complain about foul calls, like this all started with the national championship last year, right? I mean, people in the Big Ten watched her last year. Um, you know, we, we saw lots of people tuning into her games because it's like, whoa, she's doing some historic stuff. I got to watch and, and see what's going on here. Um, but then it took it took it to a new level last year in the national championship game. The officials clearly missed some stuff at the end of that game. The NCAA did an investigation on it. They came out and made a report and said, hey, we missed some calls at the end of this game. It did not affect the outcome of the game. LSU ended up pulling away big time 
in the second half. But Caitlin Clark threw some of the most enormous, annoying fits in that second half that I can recall watching basketball in my life. Like, the constant throwing of fits is a problem. The constant complaining multiple times every single quarter of every game. And she gets the benefit of the doubt, as she should, in my opinion, just like in the NBA, right? Your star players are going to more likely get more favorable calls than not. Right. And she has earned that, in my opinion. A debatable 50-50 call, especially if she's late in the game and she's got foul trouble or whatever. Typically, she doesn't. But whatever the circumstances are, if it's a bang-bang call, they've got to favor Caitlin Clark because she is a star that you have to elevate in the game. And that is important for women's basketball, and I get it. At the same time, Adam Lundy, I just don't know how much I can take of, of the changing, evolving personality of someone who's on a dang State Farm commercial. <laughs> like, that is how much she has played herself yeah. into pop culture. Like, she's a household name. You can ask any basketball fan that maybe doesn't even care about women's basketball. Most people, you know, don't. It takes a backseat, certainly, to men's basketball, or they don't watch much. But they're going to know about Caitlin Clark. Everybody knows about her. She literally sells out arenas on the road, which has been impossible to do for anybody ever in the history of women's college basketball, ever. At the same time, you have to have at least some level of liking to you. I, I, you know, Iowa fans love her, and that's great. And I enjoy watching her game. I think her game is great. Again, she can make 40-footers. She's pretty much unstoppable on offense. <laughs> But at the same time, I need her to be a little less whiny for me to, like, subtly pull for her in the tournament. Because the last few years, it's been pretty disappointing for Iowa in the tournament. Again, they lost their own regional two years ago. Last year, they, they do make it to the national championship. But then, yeah, I don't know, second half, watching that game, didn't really look that competitive. So, in your mind, Adam, if you're a fan and sitting here and you're watching women's college basketball, you're watching Caitlin Clark, are you okay with what she does, the antics? Um. I guess I would say I'm okay with it. Here's my thoughts on it. We in women's basketball really have not seen this before where uh, a popular figure is is so polarizing. Anytime yeah. we've seen a, a very good uh, player come through the ranks in college and, and really shine in the spotlight, it's just because of how good they are and their talent. Um, this other aspect of having the personality, of, of having a, a divisive personality, doing things on the court that divides fans of the game, whether or not they want to see her succeed. I don't know if that's something that we've really seen in women's basketball, having somebody that people can view as their villains. And I, I almost wonder if having somebody divisive is good for the game because it gives the opportunity for other players in the women's game to kind of come and, and be like a, a hero for another fan base to to take on this this new villain that's arisen in Caitlin Clark. So I think it could provide more storylines and more reasons for fans to tune in, but I do agree that uh, some of the attitude definitely could be reined in just a little bit too. Here's something else that I, I do think is factual whether you want to argue with me or not. Parkview Sports Medicine text line 46862 I think that indirectly, teams like Indiana and Purdue, like, listen, Indiana's been having their own success the last few years. It's driven up attendance. Um, you know, I mentioned I'm an IU grad. I'm a regular attender of both men's and women's basketball games. I'm a football season ticket holder. Like, I, I enjoy going to Bloomington, okay? <laughs> I think the football season tickets probably speaks more about, yeah. you know, my headspace when it comes to Indiana <laughs> athletics. But, I had to chuckle a little bit when I heard that one. <laughs> that's right. Man, a great deal, too. Literally giving tickets away next year. This is even with Kurt Signetti coming in. Yeah, Kurt Potentially Sing. to revolutionize the program. And the ticket deal was, they emailed me and said, if you renew your season tickets, we will give you two additional free tickets to two of the first three games. So bring, (laughs) 
<laughs> so bring people with you. And uh, <laughs> it, it is so affordable. It literally breaks down to like $15 a game for me to get a season ticket package that is on like the 25 or 30 yard line, 40 rows up. I, I just, yeah, it, it's it's a heck of a deal. And even though they stink and the atmosphere is, in my opinion, probably the worst in the Big Ten, at least one of the worst of the 14. And that includes the new, the four new teams that are coming <laughs> in. Those are all terrific atmospheres sure, for the most it, part. It just goes to show your level of dedication to IU. Agreed. So anyway, point being, I am a regular attender of Indiana women's basketball games. I'll be going down on Sunday to watch them play Northwestern. Like, I enjoy going to games. You know, their attendance has skyrocketed. They're up averaging close to eight or 9,000 a game now. Um, it, it's really cool to see the number of season tickets that they sold. Actually sold out the the first 25 or 30 rows of both sides of the uh, the lower bowl at, well, quote-unquote bowl, if you could call it, <laughs> lower sections yeah. at Assembly Hall. And that is really impressive. My point is the game at Purdue, and, and they have a, a great history of women's basketball. Things have gotten rough. Sharon Versip had a tough end to her career running Katie Gerald's. And uh, I think she's doing a good job with the program. But all this to say, I think the attendance isn't as good with them playing Indiana, almost 12,000. A lot of cream crimps in there. It was a great environment. And again, it was, it was a great atmosphere for a women's game. I don't know if that happens without Caitlin Clark coming to, to prominence in the last couple of years. I think indirectly she's had an impact on a number of different places. Indiana, Purdue, plenty of schools across the country, which even though they've been good in the past – in women's basketball, it's taken it to a new level in popularity now, in large part because of Caitlin Clark. Yeah, there's no question that she's increased the popularity of the sport, and I think that people are now starting to see, hey, there's a potential for us to maybe find the the next star at our, at our women's program, and and th- right. that that it's right. possible for there to be other exciting players like this, and uh, you know, fans go to seek them out at their uh, university of choice. All right, we got to take one more break. When we come back, we will wrap up the show soon, and in our final segment. You're going to not like me. We're going to talk about Indiana basketball. <laughs> I know it best. Uh, I, I know it out of the things that I know. I know Indiana basketball back, best. We can talk about football if you want, but I'm going to lay out for you a path to the NCAA tournament for Indiana. On the Parkview Sports Medicine text line, 46862. Yes, it's unlikely. It's very improbable. Not impossible. Chances are still there for IU. We talk about that. Break down much more in the next segment on the Sports Rush. Derek Decker in for Brett Rump with Adam Lundy on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. This is Mike Nutter, team president of the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. And you're listening to the Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Mike Nutter, the Cavs, baseball season's around the corner. This is the time of year that I dream about baseball season. We don't have snow on the ground anymore, but it still feels like winter. It's a a rainy, foggy day. It's nasty outside. Heading to a gym tonight, Adam. It just it just yeah. really makes you long for those 65 and sunny spring days at Parkview Field. Oh, it'll be here before you know it. I mean, April is, you know, just a couple months away. Yeah, and, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, baseball season is just the best time of year. I, I don't care what anybody says. I, I think in terms of viewing pleasure, I think college basketball is probably my favorite sport to watch um, and be involved at a distance. But to base- actually go. Yeah, to, to go to a game, uh, to track. I understand baseball better than anything else because I played it growing up. My dad played college baseball. Like, I, I don't know. I, I grew up watching baseball. I grew up playing it always uh, on the diamond. And so... 
Yeah, baseball is uh, has a special place in my heart. My heart I have worked in baseball for a number of years. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, uh, we're getting on here to IU basketball, and I'm sure you guys are going to be ticked. Okay, I'm sure somebody's going to throw a fit <laughs> that we're talking about Indiana basketball. But the reality is, no matter what anybody wants to say, first of all, I just want to point out that the IU guy spent like 40 minutes of the show today talking about Purdue hoops. Okay, we talked to Rob Blackman. I broke down the entire first segment. I did briefly touch on Michigan basketball and the state that they're in, and it's kind of a disaster. But to say I didn't give Purdue their due today would be ridiculous. So I need to save myself a little time at the end to talk about Indiana and how they can make the NCAA tournament. This is a team right now that has a game against Illinois on Saturday afternoon. And while that is not an unwinnable game, the way that Indiana has played, it is unwinnable. Um Here's let me like set up this argument. Okay, yeah. first things first. Indiana has to play differently. That like they've shown no signs of turning things around. Okay, they they don't really have life at the moment. There's there's no reason to believe that they can go to Illinois and pull off a, a big time upset win for their tournament hopes, which are on life support. But again, I I want to make sure, even though I know they've looked bad and and certainly uh, they're not playing like a team that can make the tournament right now, honestly, in terms of resume, they're probably lower end NIT. Seriously, like it's a resume that could end up missing out on the NIT. Granted, they don't have any really bad losses. If you're, if your worst loss is a road loss to Rutgers, that's fine. Like that you're doing way better than most teams, but they also don't have any great wins. Their best win, maybe Ohio state at home. Uh, and that's a team that's looking less and less like a tournament team at the bubble on the bubble right now at best. But you get Illinois here, and that could really give you some life if you're able to pull an immense upset, okay? You beat Illinois. The next three games, this is probably their most doable stretch the rest of the season. At home against Iowa, home against Penn State, at Ohio State. Theoretically, Indiana could win all those games. They should at least be very competitive in all three. Uh, as it stands right now, they'll, they'll probably open up around two-point dogs at home against Iowa. They'll be favorites against Penn State. In Ken Palm right now, just straight up looking at the percentages, Indiana is only favored in two games for the remainder of the season. Now, we have talked about the fact that Ken Palm has not liked Indiana the entire season, okay? They're 95. They are almost the worst in the Big Ten. They're not that far behind. Um, but at the end of the day, you're looking at an Indiana team that still has a path to the tournament. You've got quad one games left against Illinois, Ohio State on the road, Purdue on the road, Wisconsin at home, uh, Maryland on the road is probably not going to be a quad one game. Depends on how things play out for the Terps, but they've really struggled. Then you're going to finish out with a quad one game uh, at home against Michigan State. But More than likely. You're, are you, so you're thinking that they definitely need to win at least at least one of these three between Illinois, Purdue, and Wisconsin, though? No question. Yeah, They have to win one of the three, uh, and they have to, in my opinion, get themselves two quad one wins to get themselves sniffing the bubble. They also have to avoid losses against... Penn State, they have them twice. They absolutely have to win both of those games. You've got Maryland and Minnesota. Theoretically, you'd like to win both of those games, but they're both on the road. Indiana's been horrible on the road. The only game they've won on the road was against Michigan, and the only other game they were semi-competitive in on the road was against Rutgers in a game that turned into an absolute rock fight and was ugly right from the start. And uh, your six-year point guard got ejected in that game. Ugh. Ouch. Yeah. That but was... they've still got... 
yeah. you know, it's the opportunities are there. And this is, you know, John Nolan, a couple weeks ago when he was filling in on the show, talked about how even though Indiana stinks right now, they have the path to make the tournament. And they still do. And that's kind of hard to believe at this point in the season. Like, they're 12 and 7, they're 4 and 4. In terms of strictly record, their resume is similar to teams that are on the bubble for the NCAA tournament. I mean, in, just in terms of record, not resume, just record, straight up record. You know, a few games over 500, near 500 in your conference, that's going to get you on the bubble in most years. Problem is, Indiana is playing in a down Big Ten with not a ton of NCAA tournament teams, even though there are some quad one opportunities out there. It, it's, you know, it's not a guarantee that. You know, the past few years, being 500 in the Big Ten was more or less a lock for making the NCAA tournament. Uh, being 10 and 10 or 11 and 9, last year, for as good as Indiana was for most of the season, you know, they finished in the top 30 in Ken Palm. They ended up getting themselves uh, a four seed in the NCAA tournament. They were still 12 and 8 in the league. And I think that's because you had such a deep, deep Big Ten. Of course, everybody stunk in the tournament. That's what happens right. every year. Yeah. But uh, this is a team right now. That they're probably they're sitting four and four in the league, yep. which means you have twelve regular season games left. Which means you probably have to go eight and four or nine and three to give yourself a legitimate shot to be on the bubble at least going into the Big Ten tournament. Which means if you go eight and four or nine and three, you're going twelve and eight or thirteen and seven in the league. That's gonna at least earn you a buy. It, the, the top of the league is pretty set in my opinion at this point. I, again. The fourth spot is up for grabs, so who's going to get that double Y? It's probably going to be a team that doesn't necessarily deserve to get it. But as you heard Rob talk about earlier this hour, the best three teams in the league clearly right now are Purdue, Wisconsin, and Illinois, not necessarily in that order. Although I think that is probably the order that I would put them at. In terms of strength, yes. In terms of standings, Wisconsin is leading Purdue by a game right now. So Indiana goes 8-4 and four to get to 12-8 and eight in the league. They play themselves onto the bubble, probably needing a couple wins in the Big Ten tournament. Those are always shady. You never know how those are going to go. Indiana has been one of the worst historical teams in the Big Ten tournament in the history of that tournament. They have never won, which is hard to believe because they had a team reach the national championship that did not win the Big Ten tournament, though they did make the championship that year. Um, Long story short here, they've got to turn things around. There's a lot of questions to be answered here. And, you know, text us at 46862. If you're an IU fan, you're thinking, hey, Indiana does have a path. And if you're not apathetic, then then we'd like to hear from you. If you're apathetic, just just save it, man. <laughs> Listen, I, I will say, as a guy who has watched 95% of Indiana's games in the last 15 years of my life, I was apathetic for the, the first time, at least since the RT days, and there were a few games during the RT years when I was pretty apathetic. I always think that is where you're dangerous as a fan base, okay? Indiana is, in my opinion right now, not a blue blood team. But they have a blue blood fan base. They have enough people that are interested. They have the second largest alumni base in the country, and they are all in on basketball. Everybody knows it. No question about it. Hopefully things turn around in football with Signetti, and and maybe that will happen. And we'll talk more about that once we get closer to the season Um, because this has already been a super interesting offseason. Top 10 portal class coming in for IU. Does that turn around things immediately? Maybe put them in the mix for a bowl? Who knows? But as far as basketball goes, this is something that Indiana has to get right. For all you people that think Indiana doesn't deserve to be talked about, Indiana, you know, isn't a blue blood, not nationally relevant. They're, they, they don't play like a blue blood. They do have the championships to be a blue blood. And they are nationally relevant because there are enough fans. They drive television ratings in the Big Ten far more than anybody else in the league. Doesn't matter what 
year it is, doesn't matter how good they are, Indiana drives the ratings. If you go back and look at some of the highest rated games on FS1 in uh, in the network's history, it's three games involving Indiana. Okay, Michigan State's involved in a couple of those games too, and I think one might have been Indiana-Purdue. But it is Indiana that drives the ratings. Michigan State and Purdue lag behind significantly. So to say they're not relevant is ridiculous. Let me wrap up my point by saying this. Indiana still has a path to the NCAA tournament. Does that mean it's it's probable or even you know fathomable at this point? No. Does it mean it's impossible? Also no. Because this is a team that does have its opportunities in front of them. It starts with a win at Illinois. If they can get the win at Illinois, they get themselves a tiny, tiny little sliver glimmer of hope that at least keeps their tournament hopes on life support and gives them a shot going into the final month and a half of the regular season. Wrap up the show after this. Sports Rush, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. This is Purdue Fort Wayne men's basketball coach John Coughlin, and you're listening to The Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Go Dons! Go Dons sounds good, but I'm not Brett Rump. I'm Derek Decker, and our show is just about to come to a close today. Adam Lundy has produced our show, had a lot of fun doing it. We'll be back soon uh, here on The Sports Rush and enjoyed filling in for Caleb while he was on vacation in the morning show with Justin Kenny, had a lot of fun this week and, and enjoy people complaining about my IU homerism. Listen, I have never said that I'm not an IU homer. So I, I enjoy the hate from, uh, from folks. And, and I also want to point out that the best compliment you can give a talk show host is to hate on it. What, what is the, the Colin Coward line? The, the whole like, you know, I love my haters because they like me more than the people that enjoy listening to me. So it's one of those things. Uh, we've got plenty of stuff coming up this weekend here on 1380 The Fan. It is an absolutely jam-packed weekend. Your home for AFC and NFC Championship games. Chiefs-Ravens join in progress after Purdue basketball. Then Lions and Niners kicking off at 6.30 on Sunday. Before that, tonight, we've got high school hockey here on The Fan. Homestead and Carroll. Puck drop is at 9 p.m. from the Ice House. On the north side of Fort Wayne, you can hear that right here on 1380 The Fan. Then tomorrow night, Justin Kenny will have the high school coaches show talking about good high school basketball around the era. We got to see some great hoops last night. We are on the cusp of girls basketball sectional, and I am so, so ready to see what it has in store. Great matchups likely in store across the area. Northrop and Snyder, Columbian City and Homestead on a collision course to potentially meet in the sectional championship game. So many great programs and teams around the area are getting ready to duke it out. And then tomorrow night, the night is capped off after high school coaches show with Purdue Fort Wayne, the Dons taking on Northern Kentucky down in Kentucky. All right. 6.45 p.m. is pregame for that, and uh, tip-off is at 7 o'clock in a pivotal game in the Horizon League. For Adam Lundy, our entire 1380 The Fan crew, I'm Derek Decker. For this edition of the Sports Rush, saying so long and God bless from Fort Wayne.